Lifestyle choices and environmental factors impact your brain health and the physiology and psychology of your mental health. When you're ready to turn your brain on to get your game on, listen to In Your Head Radio. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. Hey everybody, it's Erin Carey with Sparking Wholeness, and I am sitting down with Lee Richardson of In Your Head Podcast, and we are doing a simulcast. So this is going to be a real fun treat for both of us because you could be hearing this on my show, you could be hearing this on Lee's show, but we thought that we would just come on and talk all things brain health, nutrition, movement, just whole body wellness. So I think this is going to be fun. I think it's going to be a great time, Erin. And, you know, the brain health, what does it start with? It starts with nutrition and sleep and what you eat. And so many times I'm asked, okay, what kind of diet should I be on? And I honestly don't know what to say. So I take it easy. I say, well, if it comes in a bag, a box or a can, and it's going to be good for two years, stay away from it. Yeah. I love that. No, it's true. It's like, I mean, cause I don't think there is a perfect diet for anybody and we all, I mean, there are so many different food sensitivities that people have and just different things going on that everybody, there's always going to be a new quote diet. And so I think just going to that, you know, almost an ancestral way of eating, you know, does it grow in the ground? <laughs> you know, you it, that's like you said, is it process? Has it been processed by a plant? Is it a plant or has it been made by a plant? You know, like, I think that that makes a big difference in how we feel, because like you said, everything that we do, everything we think it does start with what we put in our gut because our gut sends signals to our brain. And it just is so interconnected. You know, and so many people are convinced, oh, I'm like, you know, I don't like that kind of food. I don't like that food. And I'm like, you don't like dark chocolate. I don't know anybody that doesn't like dark chocolate. Well, yeah, I like that. But is that healthy? And I'm like, yeah, actually it is. So I think that people, if they'll open their heart and they'll open their mind, instead of thinking, well, if it's healthy, it's going to taste terrible. That, you know, they'll be, they'll be amazed at what good brain food is. Guacamole is one of my favorite snacks in the whole world. Now, we won't talk about the chips that I have with it. But. <laughs> it's, it's true, though. I mean, I, it's so funny, these things that like dark chocolate, you think, oh, well, it's chocolate, so it can't be good for your brain. But there are really powerful properties to dark chocolate, very powerful antioxidants that are helpful for brain health. And same thing with avocados. They're a healthy fat. And so we get into this mindset and uh, gosh, and this goes along so well with what you do. So many people get into a mindset of good and bad food, you know, and, oh, I can't have that, or I can't have this. And it's based on rules that somebody else told us a long time ago, and we're not trusting our own intuition about food at all. Well, how do you help people to do that? Because that's something, you know, I read a book or saw a book, the intuitive way to eat. And I really almost bought it because I thought everybody needs to have that philosophy around their food. Yeah. And, and I think, I, I think that's good because I do think we need to trust our instinct. I was just talking to a client today and I said, when I get a craving for a vegetable, you know, a certain vegetable or something like say chickpeas, right? Just like random <laughs> chickpeas that you can roast, bake, whatever. 
to me, that tells me that there's something in there that my body needs. You know, if I get a craving for Cheetos, Doritos, something like that, I'm only doing what the companies want me to do, right? Because they spend a lot of money to make that food addictive. So I don't, in, intuitively trusting my cravings with that kind of stuff, that's not the same as intuitively trusting my body. Like say, after I go on vacation, I'm eating out a lot. When I get home, typically I want a lot of green vegetables. I want a lot of fresh whole foods because my body is trying to get back to balance. And I think when we lean in and tune into that, we definitely can get there, but our taste buds are pretty hijacked by the really brilliant marketing done by these processed food companies, you know, where they have made food so addictive to reach that pleasure point to where we're getting uh, flavor overload beyond what anybody has ever had in the history of time, but we still want more. And so it's, it's, it's such a difficult balance. Like you said, it's one thing to eat intuitively, but some people are like, well, my intuition tells me to eat it McDonald's. And that's not quite the same thing <laughs> as no, giving your body not. nutrients. <laughs> yeah. But you know, when that, what we get that addictive stuff going, it's because that brain is kicking out all that dopamine and those, that dopamine's like, it goes from, you know, I like that to, well, I, I want that to, well, mm-hmm. I need that. I need that food. I need that, you know, whatever it is. Um, and there are some good foods that we can tap to into for dopamine, right? Yes. And I think, and that is such, I'm so glad you mentioned that because some of that does have to do with, we've created that neural pathway, right? And we've created, we've made a groove in our brain to where every time I drop my kids off at school, I see that Starbucks on the way home. And now I'm picking up the, you know, whatever super sugared (laughs) drink is at Starbucks. And it becomes a habit that also makes us happy because it's like, oh, my kids are at school. This is my treat. This is my time, but we can biohack that. And that's what we want to be able to do with these things is we want to be able to, if we are feeding our brain, our bodies with food that is nutrient dense, and we are not just consuming food that's glucose, sugar, processed carbs, whatever it is, we can start kind of training our brain to want these other things because pretty soon we realize, and I know this has happened for me, gosh, I don't feel great drinking Starbucks all the time or very often at all. Like I just, I kind of tank afterwards. It's the sugar load. It's the, whatever they put in it, the other artificial ingredients. And I don't feel great. And so, but for some people you have to, you have to take a break and you have to figure out a way to retrain your brain to how, how to think about those things, you know, to where what's another self-care ritual that I can do instead of just going through the drive-through line. Well, you know, and I think we all have gone out for those big lunches and we come back and we're exhausted. I mean, I feel like it's all I can do to hold my head up and I stop and think about what'd you have for lunch? It wasn't a nice lean piece of protein. <laughs> um, it was, you know, something heavy in carbs. It's, it, it's amazing to me if we pay attention to what our body's feeling, because literally I've had heavy lunches, which I don't do, but I've come back and I felt like I was in a brain fog. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, that's so interesting. That you mentioned that. Cause I have started talking to clients when they have, when they start feeling that way, that tells me that you're in that using sugar or glucose for fuel all the time mode. And so there are a few things that we can do, you know, to help get out of 
going into that kind of sugar, what I would call it like a sugar crash afterwards, intermittent fasting is really good as a good way to reset those hunger hormones. And so I promote, I, I work with people on that depending on, you know, it depends on if somebody's perimenopausal or in menopause, like that can make things really tricky. But for the most part, that's a really good way to keep you from getting into that crash. And also I say, eat your carbs. If you want to have carbs, eat your carbs in the second half of the day, not for breakfast or lunch, because you might feel that crash and then you might be hungry soon afterwards. But I say, have them with your dinner, because then that's when you're naturally going to lull off to sleep. And for some people, it might help them sleep better having a little bit of a carb content before bed, instead of like you said, that heavy lunch where you're useless afterwards, because that used to be me for a long time. Well, you know, I think too, when we think about when we eat our food and how we eat our food, that's something that anybody that's having a cup of coffee after dinner at eight or nine o'clock at night, are you thinking about what that's doing to your sleep? (laughs) Because sleep and nutrition to me, that's your foundation Mm -hmm. and what you eat and how does that impact your sleep? How does that, how does that impact the cortisol levels in your body? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And it's funny when people are younger, when we're younger, we don't pay attention to that as much, but man, I think especially women, our bodies become more sensitive as we age. And you don't know if you are a slow metabolizer of caffeine or a fast metabolizer of caffeine. And it's one thing, you know, when you're 19 years old to have coffee at you know, eight at night or whatever. And you're like, oh, this is fine. But after a while it catches up to you. And so we have, I I would say we have a generation of women who have been raised on these overly caffeinated drinks who are amped up during the day, not sleeping well at night at all. So then they have a glass of wine or two or three or whatever at night to take the edge off. Well, that disrupts sleep and blood sugar. And then you start it all over again the next day. And so that is, again, being in tune with, well, gosh, if I do this, what if I do this even in the morning, having caffeine in the morning or having caffeine at two in the afternoon, how is that going to impact my sleep? If I have this bottle of wine, how is that going to impact my sleep? You know, and that's a good question for you. Have you seen, um, in your practice, it seems that the pandemic has driven people to drink alcohol more than maybe they did before. Absolutely. I mean, everybody, because for a long time you couldn't go out. And I I can remember when the, when the cocktails to go came out, how excited people were to be able to get a cocktail delivered to their house. And, you know, we, we turn to, when we think of a cocktails, we think, oh, it's, it's a enjoyment. It's relaxing. It's pleasure, happy hour. And when we weren't going anywhere, I mean, I had clients say that they were having happy hour every single day. And of course they weren't really feeling so happy at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question too, is so over time, I mean, alcohol in general, it's neurotoxic for the brain, right? So how right. much, how much is too much? Like, how do you know, like, I'm not talking about people who are, who have a serious addiction problem, but there are a lot of people who it's like, Oh, a drink or two every day, it becomes a habit, but they're not feeling tipsy or drunk. But what is that doing for your brain over time? Well, you know what I think the brain is genetics is so intertwined with the way the brain works. And I do, th- I mean, addiction is a brain disease. Some people can simply not 
have a glass of wine or, or a drink. Once they have one, they're gone. And I think, you know, it's interesting because I've seen st- studies that show two glasses of red wine every day, how beneficial that is to the brain. And I've seen studies that show that no wine, you know, is beneficial to the brain. And I think we all have to tap into what our genetics are, but tap into your body. So you have those two glasses of wine at night. Do you fall asleep easily? Probably so. Do you stay asleep the whole (laughs) night through? Um, But maybe you do, maybe you don't. But what are the, what are the consequences? And if you're finding, no, I'm waking up at three o'clock in the morning, every morning, I can't go back to sleep. So, you know, I toss and turn for an hour. I wake up, I'm exhausted. I'm moody. I'm cranky. Then you have to ask yourself, how good are those two glasses of wine for you? And at the the same time, if you experience no consequences, you know, every, no weight gain, no, no ramifications, then maybe your, maybe your body and your brain can handle it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And it it goes back to even what we're saying about nutrition, where it's, up to the individual, you know, and it is about the individual body and how is it making you feel? You know, it's like, sure. Like you said, the studies, there are studies that say it's beneficial, but how is it affecting you personally and your sleep? And I think that that's different for so many people. It's different on the life stage and season and going back to stress hormones, you know, and how I think our stress hormones, the cortisol, when I talk about stress hormones, I'm talking about cortisol, that and blood sugar are so intertwined to where they do influence each other and they impact each other. And so when we are going back to this whole sugar crash, carb roller coaster, whatever it is that we're, that many people are on, when we're on that, that can be stressful to our body, just like our stress hormones, when they're skyrocketing, that can impact our blood sugar. And so it's like chicken or egg issue, you know, what comes first, we need to be able to address both of those things, but it, it is a balancing act and it's, and it is more about tuning in. Like what are some habits here that, that are not helping, not nourishing my body today, you know? And what are some myths? Because remember for the last, you know, cholesterol has been the big deal. And, you know, 25% of the brain is made up of cholesterol and the brain needs that cholesterol to keep Mm -hmm. those nerve cells regenerating and alive. They don't have enough cholesterol. They can die. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, we have myths in our mind about what's good for us or good for our brain and what's not. I mean, I can remember for a long time, eggs, mm, no eggs, yep. <laughs> you know, and eggs are great for the brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's brain fuel. Like the egg yolk, especially it's like nature's multivitamin, but for so long we were told not to consume it, you know, but it has choline. It has all sorts of vitamins and nutrients that we need for good brain health. We just, that's so interesting though. I want to go back to what you said about cholesterol, because that is fascinating And I think I've also read that if you try to lower your cholesterol, your body's going to pump more out kind of as a survival mechanism, right? I don't know if you've read the same thing, but 25% of the, of the brain, is that what you said is made up of Mm -hmm. cholesterol? Yeah. And it needs it. And I mean, because the brain only weighs three pounds. So when I read that, I was just like, huh, Um, that was, 
that was, but I read so many different things. You know, we used to think yeah. that butter, <laughs> butter is awful for you, but mm-hmm. olive oil, olive oil is good. Mm-hmm. And now haven't we gone full circle? Yes. It's so funny. It is. It's like, we used to laugh about our grandparents, great grandparents, you know, cooking things in bacon grease and putting butter on everything. And, oh, that's so archaic, you know, but now people are saying to go back to that because since they started adding vegetable oil to everything in an effort to help lower cholesterol or decrease heart risk or whatever it is they said that was the reason that's driven up inflammation. And now we're seeing that inflammation is such a big driver of heart issues and mental health. Like how many mental health issues, depression, anxiety, all those things are really just neuroinflammatory. And it's just these inflammatory cytokines in our bodies that are just causing our brain to go on the attack. It's like all these things we've tried to do to help, you know, nutritionally, it's going back full circle, as you said, because really maybe we had it right to begin with. But you know, and we all know we should take omega threes, mm-hmm. or we, or some of us do. Yeah. And to me, the the primary value of omega threes is to reduce that inflammation. Mm-hmm. And turmeric is another thing that's really good mm-hmm. to reduce that inflammation. Yes. And I've seen some amazing things about what ginger can do for you. Yeah, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because I think about a lot of those spices are in Indian food. And I recently read somewhere that women in India don't go through menopause the way we do here in the US. And I wonder, and I haven't dug any further because like you, I'm always reading stuff like this. (laughs) Um, I haven't really gotten any deeper into it, but I wonder if it has to do with the anti-inflammatory spices and the way of eating there that's there's probably a lot more vegetables <laughs> you know more fish like mm-hmm. less yes. processed yep yep less processed things and i think that that's something you know if if people if we just make small tweaks to our eating you know just like little things here and there like add a few more vegetables to every meal and see what happens i think when you start feeling better going back to the beginning when you start feeling better you're going to be more prone to continuing those habit changes, you know, instead of just some huge overhaul of a diet that is stressful, you know, and you've often said, I've heard this on your podcast before, what two thirds of brain cells are looking out for danger or something. Well, in the right hemisphere, two thirds of the cells are constantly scanning for danger because it's the job, it's the brain's job to help us survive and to get through. So it's a natural tendency to be, that means what are we looking for? We're looking for the negative, you know, and research shows we have three times more positive events in our life every day. But what does the brain remember? Mm. The negative, you know, you remember the very last thing, that guy that cut you off, Or, you know, that lady in the grocery store that just right checked you out and never even looked you in the eye. I mean, because the brain hangs on to that negativity. And Mm -hmm. a lot of times I think people had turned to food to as a positive coping skill. Oh, I think I love a brownie. I think I'll eat a brownie to make me feel better. Mm -hmm. And it's the same, you know, it's funny, it is more socially acceptable to eat a pan of brownies than, you know, to drink a bottle of wine, but it's still the same going back to that, we have these survival coping mechanisms. And I think for a lot of people, even going on an extreme, huge diet overhaul can be so stressful, and can lead people to binge more or to go back to old habits, even 
more intensely than before because it's not just these small steady changes that you're seeing results with. It's just these huge, massive overhauls and that's stressful to the brain. And that's, yeah. Well, I agree with you. I mean, I've, I've people, they know, everybody knows salmon is very healthy mm-hmm. and, but I've had, I've had a client say, I have no idea how to cook salmon. No, do you bake it? Do you fry it? Do you, what do you, how do you do it? And so just even making that shift in your brain that, oh, I can do this. I mean, it's overwhelming. Well, I've never cooked that. I don't know how to cook that. Do I have the right pan? And I'm like, do you have a pan? You have the right pan. (laughs) It's not, it's not that complicated. But you, but to, back to your point about the negative is like, we focus on, oh, well, I messed up salmon before, so I can't do it again. You know, I can't, oh, it was really bad. Or, oh, my husband hated it and he threw it in the trash, you know, or whatever. I, I hear these things too. And it's just so hard to continue. How do we get out of that negative mindset? How do we increase positivity so that we can make changes and we can have more mental clarity? Well, you know, I think that we have to be open to receive. And I think in the last 15 months, we've all shut down a fair amount. I mean, we can't go out. We, we can't go out to eat the way we were. We can't do this. We can't do that. So we've got the, we've got the can'ts going. Can't do that. Can't do that. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to be more open that, you know what? And I encourage people just try one thing new in your diet every week. Just one thing. That's all you have to do. You know, if, if you've never had broccolini, I've had broccoli. I don't like it. Well, try broccolini. <laughs> I mean, try one thing new every week. And I think that helps us to, because it's once you start having those small successes, you know, once you start having small successes, then, oh, I can do this. Self-confidence goes up and you're more motivated to do it. Mm-hmm. And something else I've heard you say before on your show is to have something to look forward to and how important it is to have something that's positive to look forward to. And I just think, what about trying something new or taking a Saturday and going, you know, I'm going to order one of those meal kits and I'm going to make one of these healthy meals. And that's going to be my something to look forward to. That's going to be my something new. (laughs) And even that having that can kind of maybe hack that mindset a little bit to where it's not like, Oh, I've got to make a healthy dinner. You know, it's probably going to be horrible because healthy food tastes bad. Like why do people have that mindset too? Right. That healthy food tastes bad. They do. It's so, yeah. How do we get past that? It's just this, we're so set in our mindset on some of these things. Well, we are, you know, and it's not just our diet. It's what we do for fun and, and it's, we've just got to learn to let go of the negative. And yeah, you, you cook salmon once and it was a little overdone. Okay. You couldn't even eat it. Does that mean you're going to overcook it the second time? No, it's not. Maybe this time you'll pay attention. You'll set the timer on your phone um, and you'll pay attention and you'll put everything you do with intent and very deliberately, you'll do better. Yeah. Yeah. And having that mental flexibility is what I hear you say too, is, is just being flexible. Like, okay, it didn't work out, but does that mean it's always going to be like this? No. 
And uh, yeah, I think that that's, that's really powerful. And I think that goes for exercise. I mean, how many people know that exercise is the best thing you can do for your mental health? You know, it really is. I, the more I see it in studies, I'm like, I don't know anything else. There's no pill that does what exercise does. We want, I mean, you know, there's, <laughs> that could be debatable <laughs> depending on who you're talking to, but exercise is so beneficial for mental health, but that it's so hard to put on our shoes and get out. I mean, we all know exercise releases endorphins, endorphins make us feel good, but it's that, that point. And I think a lot of it is, is what's our, our starting point and what's our starting point with our diet. Mm -hmm. If you've been running off of sugar, you know, you're going to have a harder time starting because yes. we haven't looked for natural jump starts. We've looked for that. Give me that kick in the can, you know, give me that double espresso, mm -hmm. uh, and we've got to just realize, I mean, I think, aren't there some natural energy drinks that are better for your brain? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are so many different companies now that are coming out with um, blends that have adaptogens, you know, that are, that are supposed to help bring focus and calm without all of the crazy synthetic caffeine that we typically get from the popular energy drinks that, that people get. And yeah, I mean, and I think even there are things like, Gosh, one of my favorite things is L-theanine. I don't know if you've ever used that before or one of my kids, she has anxiety and she loves L-theanine in a chewable form. And it just kind of helps give her body a break, calm her down a little bit, and it improves focus so that she can get stuff done that she needs to get done. But it's trendier <laughs> to go pick up a coffee drink that's overpriced or to get one of those cans. I see that. I don't even know what they're called. I see people carry them all the time. And I'm like, Oh, like I just knowing what's in them, but it's, it's what everybody does. And I think that that goes to like, how important is it to have a circle of friends who are also trying to make changes with health and, and to be able to hold you accountable to these things. Have you ever picked up one of those Red Bulls or, or any of those energy drinks and tried to read the ingredients yeah. on the side of the can? I can't even pronounce those words. Yeah. I'm like, I have no idea what that is. If you can't pronounce it, maybe you shouldn't be drinking it. Yes, I agree. And that goes with the food and the processed. And, you know, even thinking about my kids, right? Like our family, we recently had this big transition. And so we're relying a little bit more on just quick and easy things than typical because different seasons call for different solutions. But I have noticed with one of my children, he's so sensitive to sugar. So giving, letting him go, you know, oh, well, here's this here. Oh, here's a popsicle. Here's whatever it is. Like, it seems like, okay, it's no big deal, but man, those things add up. And I think about for adults, we're just grown up kids. Our brains, <laughs> they're not as developing anymore as kids, but we can, as you talk about, we can change our brains and every single thing that we think about, that we put in our body, that, um, you know, even environmental toxins, and that includes things that we consume or, chemicals, fragrances, whatever, like all of that has an impact on our brain. We just don't, it, it, it goes back to the intuition. We kind of have cut off being intuitive about those things and just like, oh, well, I'm exhausted. This is just how life is when you're in your thirties, your forties, whatever. Well, you know, and I think we have to stop and think about our lifestyle choices that we make. What's that doing to our brain health? How many hours a day are you doing social media? Which <laughs> We're doing a little social media right now. But, <laughs> but there's, you know, one hour of it is great. 12 hours, mm 
the same thing. If you're more addicted to your phone and, and I see clients, so come in my office, do you have a phone charger? I'm like, no, <laughs> I don't. And I do, but I, I'm like, no, I don't. And you want to see a meltdown? And it's not just the young, it's not just young kids. And when I say young kids, I mean teenagers. And I can't believe how many eight-year-olds come into my office and have a phone. And they can do things on their phone that I've never even heard of. Gosh, it's crazy. And I just think about, it'll be interesting to see, you know, I have a child who was born in 2004 and it was just a few years after that, that iPhones were introduced. And I think there were iPads, but I didn't get an iPhone till she was probably, I don't know, eight or something, but that's a generation that grew up with these kinds of technology, this kind of technology available. And I am just going to be interested to see what that is doing for attention span, what that is doing for, you know, we talk about, you talk about this lot, executive function, like just kind of, is it doing something to the nervous system where we're putting kids' brains in fight or flight all the time and with no recovery, there's no break. You know, remember when we used to wait in line, like just, just wait. We would just wait. Nobody waits in line anymore. Everybody has their phone out. <laughs> Absolutely. And there's and something about being still that is so calming and just being lost in your own thoughts. Who gets lost in their own thoughts anymore? They're lost in everybody else's thoughts, you know? And I think people are afraid to try to get lost in their own thoughts because we're so used to picking up the phone. Oh, let me check this out. Let me check that out. You know, and I, I talk a lot about meditation with my clients and I think med- the word meditation overwhelms some people. And I can tell when I say it and they get that deer in the headlight looking at, oh, mm-hmm. and I said, well, you know what? Can you just be quiet with yourself for five minutes? Just have a quiet time. Don't talk to yourself. Don't criticize yourself. Don't ask yourself a lot of questions like, why am I doing this? For five minutes, just try to be present with yourself. Yeah. And set a timer. I, I actually did that exact thing last night. I realized that I had been going, 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 hadn't had a chance to s- slow down and my upper back was starting to hurt. And I thought, okay, this is weird. Like, you know, I've been lifting some things more than usual, putting furniture together, you know, all these crazy things, but I thought, no, I need to sit and breathe. I haven't taken a deep breath today. I haven't been still today. So I went outside. I have, there's some trees out in the distance. I love, I have a weird thing about trees. I love looking at trees. It's very grounding for me. And so I sat outside, I looked at the trees and I turned my phone on to, it was a meditation app for five minutes. And it wasn't asking me to do anything crazy. It was just saying to breathe in, breathe out, gave me a few different things to think about. And that was it. And man, when I was done, it's like the pain in my back had decreased a little bit because I wasn't feeling the tension. I had allowed myself to relax and it was so easy and it was free. But how often do we, we think of meditation, like you're saying is, oh, I'm going to go sit in a cross leg position, hold my hands up and hum. And it's this woo woo weird stuff where I'm connecting with nature and whatever, but that's not what it is at all. It really is just getting still. Well, you know, we used to think of meditation as more of a spiritual experience. Mm -hmm. And I've had some people say, oh no, you know, I'm not, I don't, I'm not religious. Meditation is not a religious experience. And in the past it has been used in that context, but really it's part of a wellness trend in today's world. Yeah. And it does do some powerful things for our brain. Like we have the science 
to show how it, is it gray matter that it increases? It, increases? I mean, it does increases the volume in the brain. It when you're calm, when you calm that brain down, the brain, the power is in a more regulated state that the timing will slow down a little bit. And all of those things are things that we can train in, in the clinic with neurofeedback, creating neuroplasticity, using neuromodulation. You, we can give that brain what it needs. And the brain's like, oh yeah, yeah, I want to do that. You know, so the brain will try to mimic it. And then when, when you send it to the brain, the brain's like, yes, I want that. I'm going to work on that. And all of that, but we don't think about things like that. We think about, oh, you know, I have a headache. Does anybody have a, whatever you want to call it? Yeah. No, no brand promotion here, yeah. but, but we don't think about, okay, I'm feeling tension in my forehead. Maybe I can just gently rub my forehead, just breathe into it. Because when I get a headache, nine times out of 10, if I do that, it goes away. Mm-hmm. And just, isn't it your body just giving you a signal that maybe you need to check in with it, you know, like just do a self check-in, like what is going on in my body right now? These physical symptoms that I'm experiencing, what are they trying to tell me? Like, have I had a chance to sit down? What have I been eating? You know, have I had enough water to drink? Like, let's talk about right now how hot it is in the summer. And it's going to be hot for a while in the South, because that's just how things are. And People are relying on caffeine, which is dehydrates you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And not getting enough water. Well, of course you're going to have a headache or your body's just going to feel all sluggish and joints are going to be tight, you know, because you're not, you're not watering yourself (laughs) like the plant that you are. Right. Yeah. But, you know, dehydration is something I talk about a lot in my Mm. practice, because when you're doing, when you're creating change in the brain, I mean, the brain is 70% water. And if you don't keep it hydrated enough, after you do some training, you might get a little headache and people are like, oh, I drink water all the time. Really? When's the last time you had some water? (laughs) Well, I had a cup of coffee this morning and coffee has water in it. Uh And you know, and I know coffee dehydrates you, Mm -hmm. Um, but people don't think of the the simple things. Uh, And I keep myself very well hydrated because when I don't, I get the worst cramps in my calves. They're painful. I mean, I've woken up in the middle of the night before screaming. Um, Yeah. So I make sure I don't have any reoccurrences of that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so true. And, and another thing, you know, you mentioned that, I think we talked about this before uh, magnesium and how important it is. Like, I think for brain health, for sleep, for cramps, like you were saying for, I mean, our bodies are not getting magnesium because we're not getting in our food because the soil is depleted of it. And for a lot of people, just taking something like magnesium can help with the headaches and help with the pain and help with, you know, um, going to the bathroom, all of those things that are really important, but most people are struggling with these days. Well, and most of, I think 70% of us are magnesium deficient. We do not have enough. And, you know, it does more than all the things that you lay, that you spelled out, but it, it does things like it increases relaxing our gamma. I mean, that's a neurotransmitter. It affects that. And it's that affects our stress, our anxiety. And, you know, magnesium, it's, people say, well, what food is that? Well, pumpkin seeds, you know, almonds, spinach, cashews. 
it's uh, cashews are one of my favorite things to eat. I love cashews too, because they have, and that's great. I think for sugar cravings, people who struggle with that, you know, after dinner kind of, oh, I need something sweet. Cashews are great because they have a little bit of natural sweetness in them. And even just the raw organic, like not salted, not roasted, you know, because a lot of times if you get roasted, you get all the oils they roast them with, and we don't want those. (laughs) Those, those are the inflammatory oils, but just a raw organic cashew, a little handful of them that can really help give you kind of like that, that sweetness that you're craving at the end of the night, it gives you good fat and it can help you not to be starving before bed because some people, you know, especially if they're trying to change their habits, they're used to eating carbs all the time, which give them that, that fullness effect. But when you start to kind of take out those processed carbs and the sugar, it it takes a little bit for your body to adjust. So it's like, oh, well, I'm hungry and what can I eat? And I always say, go for a healthy fat and a protein. Healthy fat and protein is a great snack to have that's going to be a lot more nutrient dense than just, you know, a handful of pretzels, because really a handful of pretzels is not going to fill you up, you know. (laughs) And sometimes I think we have to not listen to our brain because your brain will be telling you, oh, you know what you really want? You really want some ice cream. Mm -hmm. You know, it's so hot. And Mm -hmm. remember when you were a kid, you used to get ice cream every summer And it starts reminding you and telling you those stories about how great it was. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I think we have to reframe those thoughts and say, you know, ice cream sounds good, but I had ice cream last week. I'll have it again next week. I need to skip a week. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And, and it's the other thing that like, it's, that's fine for a treat, right? Like it's okay to have a treat, but it's not a treat. If you have it every night, you know, it's not a treat if you have it every day. So like, we want to be able to enjoy food because food is so pleasurable, but if you're having it every day, you're probably not enjoying it. You're eating out of habit, out of autopilot. And I always say, you know, a body in stress doesn't digest. So if we're eating because we're stressed, well, what are you doing? You're shutting down your digestion anyway, so you can't really enjoy it. You're causing your body to send out all of these stress hormones in response to your food and your blood sugar is going to be, you know, is not going to do what it's supposed to do. And so choose a time when you're not stressed, maybe Friday night, Saturday, maybe Saturday afternoon, whatever, when you're feeling good, you've slept well, you've relaxed a little bit, then have something that you really like. You know, don't eat it because it's there. Don't like, I don't love birthday cake. You know, there are a lot of things that in my, (laughs) these days I used to love, right? But I had it because it was there and because I was coping with food. That's totally different than if I'm choosing to make some brownies that I like, the brand that I like, the the homemade kind that I like with the ingredients that I like. That's different than having somebody's, you know, packaged brownie mix that I don't even really like that much. So it's making those choices, not in a stressed mindset that makes such a difference because when we're stressed, our body's not going to digest it anyway. So it's really important to, yes, let yourself have a treat, but a treat doesn't happen every day. (laughs) Then it's not a treat anymore. No, then it's an everyday occurrence. Mm -hmm. And I think that food is certainly, it's a part of our everyday life and we need it. But we, if we think about what we eat, if we're more deliberate, you know, if we have intentions and we just think about what we eat, is it what you want or is it just what you're used to? 
Right. And I, and that's hard, you know, it goes back to a lot of people struggle to make vegetables a part of their regular every day because they don't know how to make them because they're not used to it. It's easier in a lot of people's minds. I always say this to order a pizza and wait 45 minutes. Well, in that 45 minutes that you're waiting for your pizza, you could have roasted a huge pan of vegetables with, you know, some kind of high quality protein, maybe have like some kind of a grain, like a quinoa or a rice or whatever. And you have this complete meal that is seasoned in a great way. It's probably going to fill you up a lot better than pizza would. Cause I know for me, I can eat pizza and still be hungry an hour afterwards, you know, <laughs> like there's, there are not enough nutrients in pizza for me to go, Oh, that was really satisfying. Like it just, it doesn't feel that way for me. And so we have to get our mindset into, even though it's different, doesn't mean that it's hard. You know, even though it's not our normal, doesn't mean that it's really that hard. And, and, and that's, that's a big breakthrough to have, I think, when working with people on nutrition and habits. Well, and it's, it is with working with people on brain health as well you know, because it's all tied in together and whatever your philosophy is for one, typically it will be for all. Yeah. And, you know, the main thing I think is get rid of that negative, those negative thoughts, all or nothing. You know, if you're all or nothing, it has mm. to be perfect. Well, if it's not perfect, I don't want it. Mm. Well, good luck with that. <laughs> yeah. Perfect does perfect really does not exist as a state. I don't think yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and allow yourself grace for the times that you don't meet your goals. Don't do the things that you want to do. You know, like we are human and life changes, seasons change <laughs> and it, it, yeah. And we don't give ourselves enough grace to make changes and grace in the slip ups, you know? Absolutely. And so many times, I think one of the questions that I get asked the most at the brain performance center is what part of the brain controls motivation? Could you crank that up? <laughs> and my response is, well, you know, there's a lot of things that affect motivation and dopamine. The neurotransmitter that we touched on in the very beginning is very much linked to that. And, and it's very much motivation has to come from within. Mm -hmm. Certainly if your brain is, is, more regulated, if that prefrontal cortex, that executive center is, you know, functioning better. And we talked about executive function and executive function is just, you know, planning it, organizing it, monitor, monitoring it, executing, implementing all of that. And what I find so many times people with that struggle with that is because they're not identifying the problem correctly in the beginning. They come mm. up with three great answers, three great solutions. The problem is, is none of those solutions are really aimed at what the problem is. And I see that with diet, you know, well, I just want to get leaner. So I'm just going to eat nothing but protein. Okay. But what, but what about your digestion? What about the rest of your body? And I think that we just, it's all about those self-defeating thoughts that we all have. You should do this. Well, you didn't do that. So guess what? Meet my friend, blame, shame and blame. Shame on you. You didn't do that. No wonder the good things aren't happening to you. You know, it's that negative self-talk. So stop listening mm -hmm. to that negative self-talk around what you eat, when you eat and how you eat. Because mm -hmm. your body listens to your thoughts. Your body is going to pick up on 
those negative thoughts. And even with our digestion, right? Like I, I say that our toxic thoughts create toxic digestion. We're not going to be able to digest what we need to. We're, our body's not going to function. Our cells carry these toxic thoughts. And so where, where are we storing it? You know, are we storing it in the cells of our body? Like the gut, again, going back to that gut brain connection, you know, whatever we're thinking is going to be sent down to our gut and whatever we put in our gut is going to be used to send all the good neurotransmitters to our brain. And so we've got to give our bodies a break and all that negativity doesn't give our bodies a break at all. Well, and they say the gut is the second brain. And I honestly do believe that. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't listen to it, right? Everybody says, listen to your gut, listen to your gut, but do we really? <laughs> no. We don't. I mean, and, and I've always said that when my kids were growing up, listen to your gut with the perspective that your gut is your subconscious. Mm -hmm. Listen mm -hmm. to what your subconscious is telling you because your subconscious knows your conscious just processes what's going on in the environment around you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good, man. This has been such a good conversation and we are running out of time. So <laughs> This is so fun. Is there anything else that you want to touch on before, before we end the conversation? I get, yeah, I think you've done a great job of touching on a lot of the things with nutrition. <laughs> and I think that the, you know, I'd like to leave people with the thought that you can change the way you eat, just like you can change your sleep habits, just like you can change how much time you spend on your telephone, mm -hmm. everything you do you don't do all depends on how your brain's wiring and firing. And if it's not wiring and firing the right way, it's going to be a lot harder to make those changes, but simple things like meditation and being grateful, a journal can help that brain get into a more regulated state. Yes. And it is all about having a regulated brain because if we don't have a regulated brain, we, we can't make those changes and nothing else is going to go the way it needs to go. Thank you so much for Aaron for sharing this time with me today. It's I've learned some things. Yes. And this has been so it's, good. you know, it's been a, it's been a great time. Yeah. Anything that you want to close with? No, I mean, you know, I wanted to pick your brain more on neurofeedback, but we're just going to have to do a part two, because I think that's such a practical way to teach people to regulate the brain and, and help regulate those brain waves or whatever it is that you do with neurofeedback and all the other technologies you use. But for anybody who's listening on Sparking Wholeness, head to Lee's website. It is the brainperformancecenter.com or leerichardson.com, I believe, rightly. Right. And she has so many good videos about ways that you can get your brain functioning and wiring and firing the way that it's supposed to be. And I definitely encourage you guys to check out as well as her book, which is turn your brain on to get your game on. That's right. So find that book on her website. You can find it on Amazon. It's a great, like just a, I would say a brain manual, a brain toolkit is what I would say. So definitely check that out. And for more on nutrition, holistic health, all of that, my website is sparkingwholeness.com. But I just really enjoyed this time getting to simulcast for both of our podcasts and we'll have to do it again sometime. I look forward to that. Thank you. On behalf of Lee Richardson and the Brain Performance Center, we want to thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more episodes like this, visit us on iTunes, Google Play, Toginet, Stitcher, iHeartRadio,